0: He was known as the Bellflower Bomber. Whether he nailed you with a right or left, you could be sure it was going to be a powerful punch. He faced the likes of Ali, Frazier, and Norton. He fought for the heavyweight championship on four occasions, but unfortunately, he never grabbed hold of the belt. Yet, he was once named the most popular boxer in the land. And next, on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we're going to take a look at his fabulous career in the squared circle. We're talking Jerry Quarro. This is Sports Forgotten Heroes, a tribute to the stars who shaped the games we love to watch and the games we love to play. Stars who provided us with many thrills, but when their time was up, they faded away. We'll take a look back at their spectacular careers, their moments of fame, even if it was
1: just for one season or just one game. And now, here's your host, Warren Rogan.
0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Sports Forgotten Heroes. And as I do on occasion, it's time to step away from the action on the gridiron, the diamond, the ice, and the court. And time to step into the ring and talk about one of boxing's forgotten heroes Jerry Quarry. First, the name, the Bellflower Bomber. It's really quite simple. Bellflower is the name of a small city in California near where Quarry based his camp. Quarry was born in Bakersfield, California, and his father was a boxer. In fact, his father loved the sport so much he had Jerry boxing by the time he was five. That's right, just five years old. Not only that, Jerry had two brothers, Mike and Bobby, who also boxed. However, and sadly, none ever won a world championship. Jerry came closest. In fact, Jerry was an outstanding amateur boxer and won the 1965 Golden Gloves National Championship as a heavyweight when he was just 19. Jerry who was much lighter than most heavyweight boxers, was at a distinct disadvantage. You see, at the time, boxing didn't have a cruiserweight division, and that's really where Jerry should have been. He was just too light. He was routinely giving away 20 and 30 pounds of fight. That's just too much. But still, he won. His overall professional record was 53 wins, 9 losses, and 4 ties. And, if you eliminate his last fight at the age of 46, when he had nothing left, and he lost to Ron Cranmer, and just consider the rest of his career, it was pretty phenomenal. Excluding Cranmer, he only lost two. Muhammad Ali, twice, Joe Frazier, twice, and once each to Ken Norton, George Shuvalo, Jimmy Ellis, and Eddie Machin. While he also defeated the likes of Ron Lyle, Ernie Shavers, Floyd Patterson, and Buster Mathis. That's a pretty darn good career. Four times Jerry Quarry fought. For a heavyweight belt. He was the only boxer who had the guts to step into the ring with Ali after Ali had been exiled from boxing for draft dodging. And Quarry's 1969 heavyweight title bout against Joe Frazier was named by The Ring Magazine as the fight of the year. But... Despite a powerful right and a powerful left, Quarry was just too light. He also cut easy, and those two factors, probably more than anything else, prevented Quarry from reaching his goal of winning the World Heavyweight Championship. But man, did he try. On today's show, I welcome back Tom Clark for a talk about Jerry Quarry. This will be Tom's third appearance on Sports Forgotten Heroes. He was my guest previously for conversations about Teofilo Stevenson and Archie Moore. If you haven't had a chance yet, please check out Tom's book, Death in the Ring. It's really a fun read, despite the title, about boxing. Now, before we get to Tom, I have a favor to ask. Please check out the website, sportsfh.com, and let me know how I'm doing. Drop me a line there. And please, check out everything the site has to offer. And if you have an idea for a show, let me know. Also, please follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Twitter, at SportsFHeroes. I'm trying to build as many followers as I can and would love to have you follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Twitter at SportsFHeroes. If you haven't done so yet, please visit on Twitter and click follow. You can also follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Instagram and look for the Sports Forgotten Heroes page on Facebook. As always, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, a five-star rating would be much appreciated. All right, back to Jerry Quarry. He was as tough as they came. His biggest win came against Ernie Shavers, whom he upset and knocked out in the first round. In fact, Shavers' promoter, Don King, was so stunned and disappointed in Shavers that he reportedly tore up Ernie's contract right there in the ring following the knockout. But as Tom will tell us, while that was the highlight of Jerry's career, and while Jerry dished out a ton of punishment over his 18-plus years in the ring, he also took a lot of punishment, and this, sadly, led to a very premature death and here to tell us all about the life and career of Jerry Quarry is Tom Clark. Tom, welcome back to Sports Forgotten Heroes.
1: Uh, thank you, Warren. It's great to be here. This is my third trip. Uh, the first time I think I talked to you about Teofilio Stevenson, the great Cuban heavyweight amateur champion with world class kills. And the last time was about. Uh, Archie Moore, the the knockout champion
0: correct, correct and this time Jerry Quarry and um, you know, like you said we've done a done a few podcasts together and um the first being about Stevenson and you know you've written about boxing and are obviously a big fan of the sport. so let's begin today's podcast. With a few general questions about boxing, where does your interest in the sport come from?
1: Well, I think uh, going back to the uh, er, very early 1960s when I became a sports fan, when I was old enough to become a sports fan, and a knowledgeable sports fan, uh, that happened to be at the time that uh, Muhammad Ali, then known as Cassius Clay, was starting to predict that people he was going to knock out people in certain rounds. And and in the early days, more often than not, he did deliver with his uh, predicted knockouts. So he was such a charismatic figure and such a brilliant boxer that uh, I think that that got me into it. And, of course, there was the uh, good and evil aspect. There was uh, Sonny Liston. you know, who had just knocked out Floyd Patterson. Uh, I attended that fight uh, on the closed circuit telecast mm-hmm. as a kid in Sacramento, California. And uh, that fight didn't last long. neither did the rematch, which I didn't see uh, mm-hmm. in, in close circuit, but I saw the first one. And so anyway, during that time, it was just a very exciting time with Ali or Liv Clay, as he was then known, uh, and Liston and uh, Patterson, uh, though an undersized heavyweight was, uh, uh, in a lot of ways, a national hero because he was such a a good guy, and then the the terrible Sonny, uh, as he was perceived. I'm not saying he mm-hmm. was necessarily terrible. He certainly spent a lot of time in prison. Then he knocked out Floyd not once but twice in the first round. Mm-hmm. And then Ali beat uh, 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 Listen. So and then not long after that, Joe Frazier became a factor. And it was really the golden era of heavyweight save. From that point through the eighties, really, um, with um, uh, Fraser and Foreman and mm-hmm. George mm-hmm. Foreman, mm-hmm. big George mm-hmm. Foreman, sixty-eight uh, heavyweight champion. I think the greatest all-around knockout puncher mm-hmm. in history. Interesting. And uh, uh, Ken Norton, and uh, then into the late seventies and eighties, uh, you have uh, uh, Larry Holmes. And then he a little further on you get Mike Tyson. So mm-hmm. it was a very exciting uh time. Uh, I will have to say though, uh, if I assume you've read my piece on Jerry Quarry. I have that ends, that ends my book, Death in the Ring. I I I, uh, I have great respect for boxers. In fact, I attended a closed circuit cast or now it's a pay-per-view at a local restaurant here in Bakersfield, California. Uh, 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 Andy Ruiz, the first uh, uh, Mexican-American heavyweight champion Mm -hmm. in history, uh, versus uh, uh, Joshua, uh, Anthony Joshua, uh, who regained his title by outpointing uh, Andy Ruiz. So it's not that I'm no longer a fan. It's just that I just don't watch as much because of uh, seeing guys get either – uh, severely damaged and dying long slow deaths mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. sometimes not so slow deaths. Mm-hmm. And I think the guy that you're, we're going to talk about later, Jerry quarry as well as his brother, Mike,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, uh, former heavyweight, uh, top contender and light heavyweight top contender, uh, respectively. I think as uh, seeing that as I've gotten older, I think young men, you know, with all that testosterone are ready to just scream and say, you know, kill him and all that. But, um, you know, I, I've had to temper uh, that kind of uh, tendency with the, uh, the, the the very real uh, suffering uh, sure. that has taken place.
0: Mm-hmm. At what point did boxing become so fascinating to you that you decided to write about it?
1: Well, um, as far as the writing aspect, uh, that uh, took, started taking place. In the uh, I would say the mid seventies when I was in my early twenties, and uh, so if, in fact I got an email just last week from a friend who said, "Hey, you should you should be writing about boxing more," and because uh, I, I don't write about it regularly, I, mm-hmm. I probably haven't written a boxing piece that I can think of at least not many since that w- the one that I linked to you about uh, Bobby Quarry, the youngest and only surviving member of the boxing Quarry mm-hmm. family. Um, so anyway, I'm going to, this weekend, I'm going to set aside some time and write about the Anthony Joshua uh, fight, regaining his heavyweight title against Andy Ruiz. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I started in my early 20s, and off and on I've been writing about it uh, since. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, you I know, write more about politics, but uh, I'm going to get away from politics. I'm tired of
0: politics. Uh, that's sort of a boxing ring in and of itself these days. Yes. <laughs> you know... You and I have talked about UFC as well and how it's really become so much bigger than boxing today. Why do you think, though, that boxing has been unable to recapture that fancy of the fight fan? And how much of that do you think can be attributed to the fact that we just don't have the you know, the very dynamic personalities in the sport, like an Ali, a Frazier, a Foreman, a Leonard, a Hagler, guys like that.
1: Well, that's uh, that, that's a factor. We have some uh, very talented people uh, in the game. But, uh, you know, Ali was not only a once-in-a-decade or a once-in-a-generation gen- star. He was really a once in a century star,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and not only in boxing but in uh, just in life. I mean, he was a. It's often said that people are larger than life. Well, in Ali's case, there was a guy larger than life, mm-hmm. and and Sonny List then for all his menace was, he, you know, he had a huge star quality. So did Joe Frazier. So did uh, George Foreman, and so did Mike Tyson. Larry Holmes was a great fighter. He didn't quite have their star quality. He was. just is competitive with them athletically, but the, the guys that I just mentioned did have that uh, transcendent quality. And so did uh, Hagler. So did Leonard Mm -hmm. and so did Roberto Duran. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: I just don't think we have anyone with that star quality now. And you combine that with the uh, Mayweather has it, but he really didn't have any uh, serious rivals. Um, nor was he a dangerous knockout puncher by the standards of uh, all the guys i've just listed uh also i i think people have uh, very serious concerns about the damage uh, that these boxers suffer um it's uh you know it's just something that's been much more publicized and much more studied scientifically than it was say when i was a kid and I mean, we all knew the boxing was bad for you. Uh, people died. A guy named Davy Moore was killed mm-hmm. by Sugar Ramos in an early 1960s fight in the Coliseum. Uh, an even more infamous fight, Benny Kidd Perrette, uh who had uh, made a sexual comment about uh, the great Emil Griffith. And Griffiths told him he was going to kill him, and he—I don't know if he was speaking literally, but he literally did that in a fight, mm. uh, in an inf- still an infamous fight. So I think these kinds of things, people say, hey, in a world of uh, football, which itself causes a lot of head injuries, mm-hmm. but in a world of football, basketball, baseball, and so forth, and as well as all the the movies and the video games and the and Netflix. I was watching Netflix last night. Um, uh, Michael Douglas. Um, uh you know star mm-hmm. uh series so I think that there are, that it's the realization that it's it really destroys people and that it uh and and that there are other sports out there i think that's sort of in as you've indicated a lack of these transcendent personalities like an ali uh like a foreman a Frazier or a, a tyson or a Roberto duran and, and sugar mm-hmm. Ray leonard mm hmm so so jerry
0: quarry he he was he was a heck of a fighter, unfortunately he didn't win the heavyweight championship of the world, but give us your overall impression of him and what can you remember about him from watching him fight?
1: Well, he was very talented uh he was about six feet in uh, roughly 195 uh, in his prime. In other words, he was way outgunned in terms of size, height mm-hmm. and weight sure. in particular. And it, today, and and see, that's another thing about boxing. It's just primitive in a lot of ways. Uh, a fighter in the old days could only, if he was more than 175, he had to fight as a heavyweight. We now have the cruiserweight division, which initially only went up to 190. And now, uh, for a time it's gone up to 200. So there was no place for guys like no real good place for guys like Quarry uh, and, uh, uh, Floyd Patterson, for example, those are two guys who were overpowered, say by Ali. And, um, they, they, they just weren't big enough. So they, um, uh so that that was Corey's problem, I mean, being born at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Also, as, as I talk about in my story, Jerry Corey from Boxing Heaven, I'm thinking, what would Jerry think? He's in the cemetery, not far from where I am now. I'm in Bakersfield, uh, which is 110 miles north of LA, about 20 miles northwest of here in Shafter. He's in the cemetery. And I thought, what would he be thinking if he knew that his younger brother, Mike, uh, former number one light heavyweight contender is being buried here with me forever and uh, it's funny you it, bring that up because
0: I have a question here for you about your book Death in the Ring and and how you take such a unique approach to telling Jerry's story from his grave So yes. so I want you to continue along your thought but I also want you to tell us how you arrived at that idea to tell it from the grave as if he was welcoming his brother home.
1: Well, yeah, he was, he was, of course, uh, there's an undercurrent of sadness all along. Uh, he, you know, talking about his own demise as well as that of uh, his young brother, Mike. Uh, but I, I began writing from the first person of other characters in the early 1980s, when I started my first book, which was uh, uh, a biographical novel that's called Hitler Here. And I started writing from the point of view of people like Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, Eva Braun, uh, General Patton, and so forth. All, all the characters have bylines. And so I just got in a habit at that stage, and that's been. More than thirty five years now that I actually started that thirty six years and so i what I did in that book and I've done it subsequently, I thought just because someone dies doesn't mean you have to quit writing what they're thinking it's It's at that point simply a matter of what would they be thinking interesting and um so that's that's how I did it with jerry and in rereading it today i was uh, I was uh, yeah, I felt like I hadn't even written it. Someone else had, because I, I felt I was, like, communicating with Jerry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Corey. Talk about his who, 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 by the yeah. way, died at age 53 from dementia pugilistica. Right. And Mike would die in his, a few years later in his mid-50s. hmm Yeah,
0: we're going to so get they, into that. We're going to get into all of that. Um Talk about Jerry's upbringing. I mean, he came from a family of boxers, beginning with his dad. All of Jerry's brothers were boxers, too, as as you've been mentioning.
1: Well, yeah, except well, there were four brothers and I think four sisters. One of the brothers supposedly knocked out Jerry when uh, they were kids. Uh, he was a year or so older than Jerry, so a year can be a, a big difference at that stage. And, uh, that was a brother who for a time cared for Jerry when he, you know, in his final days, although the other family uh, stepped in and cared for him, there was some bad blood in the family between this brother and the others. And that was Jimmy Corey. Uh, but their father was not a professional fighter, but he was the guy who threw him into the ring when they were children. And I'm talking five, six years old and telling him there's no quit in a quarry. So they started off as, I mean, kindergarten, first graders and winging it and, and told, hey, you can't quit. If you're a core, you can't quit. And so these guys started to, you know, to learn uh, very significant skills in boxing very early on. And also, let's face it, uh, they started getting hit in, uh, getting hit in the head uh, early in life as well. Was it a tough upbringing? I mean, was yeah, your father were, was your uh, father
0: not a nice guy or
1: I mean, is this all he Yeah, knew? he was a, a you know, not a he was what we call a, a you know, 194 Well, Jerry was born in 1944, I think it was. Um and uh and I mean, he was 45. And um so, you know, a, a guy, so meaning the father, was probably born in around 1920 or something. Uh, so he was raised during the Depression, the World War II era. And it was a, he was a blue-collar guy, uh, a guy from uh, some poverty. And uh, they lived in a hard-scrabble area uh, of Shafter, northwest here of Bakersfield. The, you know, Jerry was known as the Bellflower Bomber, Bellflower being a suburb of L.A., south of town. Uh, but they were born here. And then they moved to Southern California.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, everything was rough about it. Uh, you know, a rough blue-collar father from the Depression and then the kids uh, brawling from early on. And uh, particularly in the case of Jerry, they they had a great natural uh, toughness. Jerry had uh, excellent uh, knockout power. As an amateur, U.S. Amateur Championships one year, uh, he knocked out five straight guys, which had never been done. It, it may never have been equal since then. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, he won his first uh,
0: championship when he was just 8 years old. I mean, that's crazy to think about. I I didn't even know you yeah. could box in a, a, a you know, in an organization and you know, organized boxing at the age of 8. I mean, it's a junior amateur
1: championship. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I think it, it is crazy crazy good, but also crazy uh worrisome as well because historically uh fighters have come from poverty or certainly lower middle class backgrounds uh you don't see too many uh, uh sons of doctors and lawyers and entrepreneurs who have their kids you know taking part in amateur boxing it's just it's just too brutal uh and um, uh, but they they started early and uh, developed early uh, mike had his first title shot. It may have been his only title shot. It was against Bob Foster, who was one of the most murderous punchers in the history of the light heavyweight division. He was six four, and usually a guy six four is not going to only weigh one seventy five, but he was just one of those long, lean guys who had great strength, and he had a, a devastating left hook. And uh, they boxed around uh, in the early rounds, and then um, uh, Mike came in and Bob Foster, as I phrased it in the story, in a career of great left hooks, uh, unleashed perhaps his best and right on the button. And, and Mike was completely unconscious for mm-hmm. several minutes. And this was on a card in the summer of 1972. I remember very well. I saw it in Fresno. I was visiting my stepbrother there. And uh, it was called the Quarry Brothers versus the Soul Brothers. And then in the nightcap Jerry was having his second fight with Muhammad Ali. Mm. And, um, it was, uh, a memorable evening. And, but the Quarry brothers really, uh, had a tough evening and particularly Mike, who mm-hmm. was just, you know, he was like Jerry said, that's scared. Me. Cause I mean, he was stiff like that being Mike.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, uh, so, Anyway, so he was precocious, and, and Jerry was precocious too. By the time he was in his early twenties, he was getting title fights. And, uh, his first title fight was in a tournament. He beat uh, Floyd Patterson. Right, and, right. Uh,
0: but but before we go there, let's go back a little. We're jumping we're jumping yeah. a little ahead, and and All you right. would you would you would sort of uh, uh, you touched uh, upon this. His first big title came in the 1965 National Golden Gloves Championships, and he won the tournament by knocking out each of his five opponents. Amazingly, that had never been done before, and as far as I can tell, as you had said, it's never been done since. Can you talk at all about those championships, the 65 National Golden Gloves, and just how dominant a fighter
1: jerry quarry was well that, i think just as as i had mentioned and you reiterated there the fact that he knocked out five in a row because in, in the amateurs they're using big gloves and they're using headgear and plus the guys are younger and you know for the most part not nearly as strong as they're going to get later on so uh that really got a lot of attention when he did that, and, and not so much in a national sense, but within the boxing community.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and then he developed uh, rapidly as a pro. And, uh, I mean, he was a, a, a good-looking guy who was uh, witty, and, uh, and he could punch with power. And he was white. And mm-hmm. he had all those things going for him, and that attracted a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And he was I- known as I- Irish Jerry Corey.
0: And I think one of the more amazing notes about that Golden Gloves championship as well is the fact that, at least what, what I've read, is that he had nephritis prior to that tournament. And he had to overcome nephritis in order to compete. And not only did he compete, he competed at a championship level. So I don't know a whole lot about nephritis and 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 all all of its you know afflictions on on a body, especially at such a young age, do you know anything about that and how serious the condition was
1: no i I really don't i uh, I will confess to you uh that <laughs> I don't know what i've what I don't know what nephritis is. Oh, it affects the kidneys somehow uh, oh, I see. I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that probably was his body telling him Jerry getting hit in the head as well as the kidneys and the liver is not good. And, uh, that would be, you know, a possibility of course, you know, even kids get sick. So, uh, but, uh, uh, as I mentioned that the brain doesn't understand the difference that you can be a child, if you're getting hit in the head sparring with your brother in the living room or the backyard, it's going to hurt you uh, blow by blow blow, just as much as it does if you're fighting for the heavyweight championship of the world against, uh, you know, great fighters. And um, so I think the the tale of the Quarries really begins then, the the Quarry brothers, the, the three of them who became fighters, Bobby Quarry being the third, Jimmy, the oldest, who did not, Pursue a professional career. He did some managing and training, and yeah, um, that's when they started gaining skills, confidence, determination. Uh, but also, that's when they started uh, really uh, suffering brain damage as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So, the Golden Gloves of '65, and shortly thereafter, Jerry turned pro, and by 1967. We're going to have a little fun here. He found himself in a position to win the heavyweight championship by virtue of a tournament that was put on by the WBA to crown a champion in the wake of its stripping Muhammad Ali. So let's talk about that for a moment. Let's yes. test, test, you know, give us your knowledge here. first, Remind us why the W. B. Remind us why the WBA stripped Ali of his title.
1: Well, uh, back in 1967, the, the height of the Vietnam War, uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, he had changed his name, I, I think, after his first victory over Sonny Liston, which was in 1964, and he's. You know, became a political activist and a civil rights leader in his own right. This was the era of still of Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. as well. Malcolm X had been executed uh, or uh, assassinated in 1965, and Ali, I think, very bravely and still correctly, is certainly on the right side of history. Said, "Hey, uh, you know, no Vietnams ever called me the N-word. Uh, I, 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 I'm not going over there and fight." why should I? Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, I am a man of peace. I'm a religious man, which he certainly was. And, uh, so when it came time to step forward at the induction, Ali refused to do so. And the, uh, really the white power structure at that time, thought, we got to make a, we got to make an example of this, uh, very charismatic, uppity black guy. And he was basically framed and, uh, Uh, He took the right position, didn't want to go over there and slaughter what what proved to be 2 million Southeast Asians, not only in Mm -hmm. Vietnam, but throughout the region. And um, so it's to his everlasting credit that he took that position, but it did cost him three and a half years of his prime. Ultimately, I believe it was the Supreme Court that said, we're not going to hear this case or and or they they, uh, said, okay, you're. You know, you you can go. In other words, it never really went to trial. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than, did it go to trial initially? It, I I think he was he was banned. I, I, I the, think the I think
0: there was a trial, and I, and I'll have to look it up. I believe there was a trial because he actually, um,
1: yeah. I mean, he was banned. There was a trial. Well, I think that was the Athletic Commission's that that banned him. Right. And there may have been a trial initially. uh, But he didn't serve time. No, he didn't serve any time. And he was out on appeal three and a half years later. uh, People saw what a disaster the Vietnam War was. And uh, he was just given, uh, you know, he was said, okay, you can resume your career. And coincidentally, he resumed his career in 1970 against... Jerry, Jerry Cor- Corey.
0: But before that, we had to go to a tournament. Oh, the tournament. That's yes, right. So absolutely. Ollie is stripped and the WBA goes out and it ranks its top eight fighters for the tournament. And Jerry was not one of those. However, Joe Frazier was ranked as one of those eight fighters for the tournament. And he decided not to box. Do you know Why?
1: Uh, no, I, I really don't. I, I imagine Joe was held, holding himself uh, uh, apart from that and otherwise above that fray because of uh, he knew that he was the best heavyweight in the world. Right, uh, right. This side of Ali. In fact, he considered himself better than Ali. And just getting ahead briefly, in 1971, he would prove, at least for the time, mm-hmm. Uh, that time, he was better than Ali, as as he was in their first fight. And that He's was one, one of,
0: heck of a fight in 70. That's
1: one of the greatest fights yeah, in yeah, history. Yeah.
0: So, Frazier gets this separate title. He's a champion. They create a title for Joe Frazier. And now, Quarry is included. And he didn't disappoint in that tournament. Tell us about Quarry, how he
1: did. I mean, he beat Floyd Patterson. Well, he, uh, TK, he first of yeah, all, yeah, beat a, a former... Two-time heavyweight champion, Floyd Patterson, who, like uh, uh, Jerry, was undersized, he decisioned him. Then he knocked out a contender, uh, Thad Spencer, and then he had a very close fight, uh, majority decision loss, against Jimmy Ellis, who was a childhood friend and sparring partner of Muhammad Ali in uh and I Louisville, think Ali and
0: I and I think Ali actually managed or trained Ellis in that tournament.
1: Well, he yeah, he probably they probably worked out together. Sure, Ali had plenty of time and he wanted to stay in shape. They were friends. And Ellis was a fine fighter like um uh, Quarry and uh, Patterson, he was uh, undersized for heavyweight, uh but he was uh, you know a, a good fighter. So mm-hmm. that that was a close fight. And uh, my review indicates that it's uh, two two votes for uh, Ellis and one was a draw. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm guessing that uh, Jerry probably did lose that one in a, in a close fashion. But he came that close to having a share of the heavyweight title.
0: Right. What was his style? Talk about his style. And what was the knock against him? I mean, yeah, you, you talked about it. He was st- just under six foot, just under 200 pounds. Um, he couldn't fight in the lighter division because there really wasn't a lighter division. There no. wasn't a cruiserweight uh, a division at that time. And um, his reach was just under 72 inches. So, so yeah, I guess size was one of the knocks against him, but there had to be other things. So what were his strengths and, and what were the knocks against him?
1: Well, his, his strengths were... Uh... He was first of all, he was a clever boxer. I mean, he could uh, he could punch. Um, he uh, he was a powerful puncher. He could hit hard with either hand. He knocked out uh, even though he fought excellent competition. He he knocked out over half of his opponents fighting. You know, including that includes the losses uh, he, of the people he fought. He knocked out roughly fifty percent of them. Uh, so this is a guy who could hurt you with each hand. Um, he uh, knocked out, for example, Ernie Shavers in mm-hmm. the first round. Ernie Shavers was one of the most feared uh, fighters in history. Uh, devastating right hand. He also knocked out a guy named Mac Foster, who was twenty four and zero with twenty four knockouts at the time. Uh, he beat Ron Lyle at a time that Ron Lyle was undefeated in, in and uh considered a, a very likely uh, heavyweight challenger. And uh, so that's the kind of talent he has, beating those three guys as well as Floyd Patterson. So he he could hit hard with either hand. He was a good counter puncher and uh but he he was a warrior. It's the no quit Macquarie thing. And, uh, having relatively short arms as well, you, I mean, if you, if you're a short armed heavyweight, chances are, you're not going to be a defensive stylist, like say the young Ali, mm-hmm. or like if if you, for those who saw the fight Saturday, Anthony Joshua at six, six, uh, who after getting knocked out by Andy Ruiz totally rebuilt his style and was a jabber and a mover with an occasional right cross, Uh, But Jerry didn't have that option. Plus, I don't think constitutionally that was in him. He wanted to go to war. Mm -hmm. And um, so if if he made a mistake, uh, I I would say that I I don't know that there was a a physical or athletic alternative, but he uh, did uh, engage in wars. I mean, Jerry Corey came out there to, to go to war. He came out there to knock your head off and given the quality and the. Uh, and, and the size differences, uh, you know, he did, uh, uh, you know, take some beatings, uh, but he administered far more than he gave. But he's, I would just say that he was outgunned in terms of size, even sometimes when he won. And the guys, some of the guys I mentioned, like Ernie Shavers, uh, much bigger, Ron Lyle, much bigger, Mac Foster, much bigger. So he he was fully capable of beating very good. Fighters who were bigger, but not great fighters who mm-hmm. were bigger
0: how much how much did the fact that Jerry cut easily affect his ability to maybe go the distance and win a championship fight?
1: well, uh it's certainly it's never good in the ring or in life or anywhere to get cut uh, but in the case of Jerry, I would say that when he was cut, it just seems that it was when he was overmatched. It's in fights when he was overmatched. It wasn't as if Jerry was out dominating a fighter and then in the, say in the ninth round, get cut and then lose the fight only for that reason. Mm-hmm. I, my recollection is that when he was busted up, whether it was specifically or cut, but just busted up, Ali busted him up twice. Fraser busted him up twice. Norton, Oh, it was a brutal beating back in the mid seventies. And that's when for the first time, Jerry Corey retired and he should have stayed retired. It was -hmm. was too late already. We know Mm -hmm. now, but it was, um, he, uh, he just—I mean—it's again. It's certainly it's a disadvantage to cut, but uh, generally, the cutting for him was a result of being overmatched. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't mean that he didn't have sensitive skin. I just mean that uh, that, that uh, I don't recall it being a big factor uh, in winning or losing. He was either being mauled or which he did And let's remember, this is a guy who won most of his fights. Sure.
0: Yep. He sure did. You know, it was really cool during my research where I found that he was ranked as the most popular fighter in the sport from 1968 through 1971. But before he was named the most popular fighter in boxing, or during the time he was named the most popular boxer in the sport, he continued to gain respect, and eventually he matched up with Joe Frazier. And that fight took place in June of 1969. And, again, during my research, I found that the fight was called, or the first round of the fight was called the Round of the Decade, and the bout itself was named the Fight of the Year. Can you tell us anything about that fight, particularly the first yeah, round?
1: Uh, I have seen that and, uh, in recent years, and uh, I've seen it a few times over the years. It's available on YouTube, or at least it was the last time I had looked. And Jerry Quarry, uh, again, I mean, this is a guy, remember, we said he knocked out five straight amateur guys at the highest amateur level, so beat most of the, player, the people he fought as a pro. And uh, at, uh up to that point, uh I Jerry had not been stopped. And um so he undoubtedly entered the, the ring that day in nineteen sixty nine thinking, all right, I'm the baddest man on earth and I'm gonna go in there and kick the hell out of Joe Frazier. But what he learned and what he acknowledged many years later, after he had retired, say the first time, was that Joe Frazier was the toughest man he ever met. Hmm. And he didn't know that during the first round. And he really picked Frazier apart. He got the advantage, but Joe Frazier was so powerful that it, you know, it wasn't that Joe was in danger of going down or getting stopped, but still it was a, it was a badass performance by Jerry Corey. And uh, so he took that first round, but after that Frazier and Frazier was by no means a big heavyweight, even by the standards of the day, but uh, he had huge muscular and as Corey said, very tough, had to, perhaps the greatest left hook of all time, certainly Mm. one of them. And he, he really started busting up Jerry. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, Two bulls going at each
1: other. uh, They were going to fight again a couple of years later. And uh, both fights ended in similar fashion for Jerry. Joe Joe just uh, overpowered him smoking Joe.
0: Mm -hmm. Sure. And that fight was stopped in the seventh round. And, you know, again, here, here was one of these fights where Corey was cut and they had to stop the fight. Um, his, his fight after Joe was against a guy, and I hope I get his last name correct, George Chuvalo. But Chivalo, Okay, that fight had a very controversial ending. Um, can you talk about that? How? How? Well, yeah, go ahead.
1: I, you know, I, it's probably available on YouTube. I, I haven't seen it. I read about it at the time. I've read about it since. My understanding that Jerry was outpointing Uh Now Shavalo was a big heavyweight. We should tell you uh, a little bit about Shivalo uh twice went the distance with Muhammad Ali. He fought Frazier. He did not go the distance. Frazier busted him up so bad he had to quit. Um, he busted his, I think, his right cheek, maybe his jaw, some, something on the, the right side of his face, meaning that, that he, had, Frazier, hit him with a left hook, and George Foreman. Uh, also uh, pounded Chavalo into submission. But no one ever knocked George Chavalo down. He was a very big and strong, tough Canadian. And anyway, uh, Jerry fought him. Jerry was doing well uh, late in the fight. It was probably a 10-round fight, ninth or 10th round. Do you have the round? Was it the ninth round?
0: Uh, I can look that up as we're talking about it.
1: Well, it was a late round. Chevallo caught him, took him down, and um, Jerry says he was up in time. The referee said, and timer said otherwise. So it went in the books as a knockout for Shivalo. It was the seventh round. Seventh round, okay. Yeah, so anyway, uh, George Shavalo, uh very powerful Canadian, uh, and a uh, big, strong guy. Uh, Did take him out, or when I say take him out, he put put him down for the ten count. But Jerry staggered up. But Jerry had, like a lot of fighters, you know, they even if they they're cut badly or mauled or uh, they're down for the ten count, they get up and they you know they say they want to continue, and and maybe they really do, but I think it's uh, very important for the referees and the judges and the medical people to to stop these fights when they need to 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 be stopped. And in boxing history, there is uh, uh, a tendency to let these fights go on too long.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: anyway, uh, I, I, I I think that particular night, Chavalo just just caught him. But they they were in the same general boat. They were very talented guys who were going against great fighters. Mm-hmm. I mentioned Foreman stopping Chavalo. Uh, not knocking him down, but, you know, pounding him, as well as Frazier doing that, and Ali beating him twice. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the same profile that Quarry had. Mm -hmm. Just really good, but going against some of the greatest who've ever lived. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it was, like you said earlier, he might have been born at the wrong time. You know, he had a very interesting relationship with Ali. Like we said earlier, He was in the tournament to fill Ali's vacant title in 1967. He faced Jimmy Ellis in the championship bout of that tournament, only to lose to Ellis, who was coached by Ali. Now it's 1970, and Ali has won the right to return to the ring, and no one wanted to fight him. Only one man stepped up, and that was Jerry Quarry. And from what I read, Ali didn't really show much appreciation to Quarry, did he?
1: Well, uh, you know, they were rivals. They were rivals. And Jerry still felt this was 1970. And, you know, that was still early enough that Jerry uh, had not, you know, he hadn't totally learned that he, he wasn't going to be the best. He was really, really good, but he wasn't going to be the best heavyweight. And of course, Ali was madder than hell after being railroaded and and uh, losing three and a half years of his prime, and uh, for taking the right political stand. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there was uh, they both entered the ring very seriously, and Ali was just really sharp and and, and busted up Corey. Uh, in fact, I can remember there was a uh, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the the. Con- comedy show from that era, uh, laughing. Sure. And Martin's laughing. Martin's laughing. Yeah. And they did a spoof on Corey the weekend after the fight. And they had this guy all bandaged up a comedian and he's saying, Oh, you shouldn't have stopped the fight. I'm fine. Uh, which was not to knock Corey, but he, he did the great Ali did, uh, show why we had missed such, uh, such excellence in the ring Mm -hmm. during those three and a half years. (laughs) So Ali was going to handle Jerry not only that night, but a couple years later. Yeah, in 72,
0: they they, they fought again and Ali won again. But this time, again, during my research, reading about Jerry Quarry, this time there were a lot of racial overtones and, I think this might have been when Quarry was given the nickname, the great white hope. Can, can you talk about the circumstances?
1: But you know, as I I mentioned that this matchup was known as the Quarry brothers versus the soul brothers, right? The Quarry brothers versus Ali. And then in the uh, opening fight uh, among the the, the highlight card, uh, it was, Mike Corey going again, totally outgunned against Bob Foster. So those were, that's where, first of all, the title of the, the Corey brothers versus the soul brothers, it's a clever title. I don't think it necessarily is sensitive or appropriate, uh, but, um, that, you know, that's what that night was all about. The poor Corey brothers for all their talent and toughness were just really, uh, outgunned. I mean, Foster just, an absolute devastating puncher, a left hooker is a light heavyweight. And then of course, Ali, uh, mm-hmm. I, I believe still the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. So they just, they simply were outgunned.
0: Mm-hmm. After the Ali fight, the second Ali fight, I think it's, widely recognize that Jerry went on to have the two best fights of his career. First, against Ron Lyle, as you had mentioned, an up-and-coming heavyweight. And Lyle was in line for a title bout, that is, until he met Jerry Quarry. Tell us about that fight.
1: Yeah, uh, I uh, I thought, well, Jerry's is really doesn't stand a chance against this Lyle. He's just too big and strong and tough and mean. he had come out of prison, kind of like Sonny Liston in that respect. And Ron Lyle was a hell of a fighter. In fact, Ron Lyle, uh, back in uh, early 76, was almost going to beat George Foreman. It's still, you can catch it on YouTube. I saw it live on TV. And uh, man, I, I was... Growling, that's as a young man, That kind of thing is, is very appealing. They were knocking each other down. I'm mm-hmm. talking Foreman and Lyle. I say that to to answer your question, saying Ron Lyle was a hell of a fighter, and uh, uh, Jerry just gave him a boxing lesson and uh, you know staggered him some, and you know won a decision. Mm-hmm. I think that fight was in Madison Square Garden. I'm not mm-hmm. sure.
0: Mm-hmm. And then next after that, you had mentioned it earlier as well, was Ernie Shavers. And Shavers was managed by Don King at that time. Tell us what Quarry did to Ernie Shavers.
1: Quarry, uh, I mean, if, if you knew, if you didn't know about that fight and you just knew about their careers, uh, I think you meaning one, one would think, all right, uh, no way Jerry uh, survives long Against this murderous right hand bomber uh <clears throat> ernie shavers, but in fact, Corey started catching him with some combinations, you no know, I would say no more than a minute into the fight and uh and just and really just started uh, landing many combinations and ernie Shavers, in fact, did not make it out of the first round it it was probably the single greatest victory of jerry's career i would rate that as the top victory uh and either the lyle or the mac F- probably the lyle fight the, the, the second best and then mac foster's knockout uh probably the the third best in it, along with uh, um uh, the Patterson victory; those are the, probably the four greatest victories of his mm-hmm. career.
0: Yeah, he beat Lyle in a unanimous decision with about thirty seconds to go in the fight in the twelfth round. But he he knocked out her. I mean, TKO. the the The, the ref stopped the fight. You know, two twenty into the first round, and and Quarry had won. <laughs> and Shavers was managed by Don King, as I said, King was so upset afterwards he actually tore up Ernie Shavers' contract in the ring and went on to sign George Foreman. I mean, Don King wanted nothing to do at that point with Ernie Shavers. He couldn't believe that Quarry took care of him that quickly.
1: Well, you know, that shows what a turncoat Don King was. I mean, a gifted promoter, certainly, but uh – you know, he should have had respect for the fact that uh, boxing is uh, an extremely difficult and dangerous business, and and that Frazier did his best. He just got caught, and he, he just that's that was Jerry Quarry at his best. I mean, he was able to land uh, multiple combinations, power shots, and uh, and just you know render uh, uh, Shavers incapable of continuing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, now, like I said, that this is when
0: king signed george foreman or very shortly thereafter so during his career jerry quarry as we said fought a lot of great fighters the best he fought frazier he fought ali he fought shavers he fought lyle he fought floyd patterson how come george foreman never fought jerry quarry
1: well george is uh has turned in you know for many years now has been a Congenial guy, he was known as kind of a, a surly fellow as a young man, whether it's true or not he was that's was his reputation uh and he has said though in recent decades, oh hey, I didn't want any part of jerry cory i I believe they sparred after George won the gold medal in nineteen sixty eight at the Mexico City Olympics. Uh, perhaps in a more experienced Jerry, uh, you know, did quite well during the sparring session. Jerry undoubtedly felt he could win. But anyway, I, I just don't think that, uh, there was really the opportunity because, uh, George won the title in 1973. I believe it was early 73. Lyndon Johnson had just died. I, think, <laughs> I believe. So we're looking at around ballpark, uh, let's say January of 73. And, um, uh, Remember, George, for as great as he was, was not going to have that title that long because there was a guy who hadn't had the title for three and a half years in exile and had, mm-hmm. and had lost to Frazier, you know, in his only title shot after coming back up to that point, And that was Ali. So really what it was all about after the first Frazier fight with Foreman was really it was all it was getting Ali back in the ring. With Foreman, the only problem was uh, a guy named Kenny Norton beat Ali in the uh, spring of 1973. And some think beating, uh, again, uh, that was in San Diego. I uh, uh, There's a little personal history there. I, I was in San Diego, uh, but I was visiting friends. I, I, I did not go to the fight. Uh, I saw it later on uh, televised delay a week later. Uh, and really, uh, that was a fight that, uh, Ali had his jaw broken by, mm-hmm. uh, by, uh, Norton. And, uh, also, uh, then in September I attended the fight and, uh, it was at the fabulous forum. I, at the time, the scaling for the tickets was 150, uh, 25 and 12 and I, <laughs> and I thought, I was gonna go in there, I thought all right, I'll, I'll sit upstairs, I'll buy it. not a twelve fifty but a twenty five dollar ticket, which for me was a hell of a lot of money mm-hmm. in nineteen seventy three. And uh it, i um uh saw that that fight live, but I, I didn't really see it until um uh, the televised uh uh re- you know, the televised uh version of it that you uh-huh. could see things on television that you couldn't before. But anyway, as it relates to Jerry, really, uh, it was all about Ali, at least, you know, he, some people don't think he he won the, the rematch. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, the great columnist Jim Murray of the LA Times said, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is pretty close. He said, if Ali won that second fight, then Japan won World War II. And that was that was wow. Murray's uh, that was Murray's style, uh, but anyway, uh, by winning quote unquote winning that fight, he certainly did better the first fight than the second fight. He, the first fight, uh, the second fight than the first fight, he he got his jaw broken, and Norton was really all over in that mm-hmm. first fight, particularly toward the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and whereas Ali did a lot of damage in the second fight, so by by winning that, really, he set himself up for what would be known as the rumble in the jungle Mm -hmm. in uh, 1974.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, getting back to Jerry and following that Ernie Shavers fight, he really only had one more big bout and that was against Frazier a second time. And Joe stopped Jerry in the fifth round. And you know, that was really it for, for his big fights at this point. No one knew how much damage Quarry had sustained over the years from the constant blows to the head. Again, I'm not the greatest in pronunciation, so talk to me about dementia pugilistica, as you've, you've discussed right. before, and why it takes so long to reveal itself.
1: Well, it's, it's, you know, it's the nature of the uh, illness it's progressive it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and the brain uh shrinks throughout this this time it just the brain is literally shriveling away and of course as that happens the person uh loses uh control of uh, emotions and uh, intellect and uh although uh body corey the younger brother, who had a, a relatively brief amateur career, uh, sustained some damage, but unlike his brothers, he didn't have nearly as many fights, particularly as an amateur. And he said that Jerry was okay, uh, or he seemed okay until his early forties, whereas Mike Quarry, uh, much earlier than that, was showing signs of dementia pugilistica.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But let's mm-hmm. remember, Jerry died in. Nineteen ninety nine, uh, at age fifty three, very young. Yeah, very young. So, so he he
0: loses to Frazier. He steps out of the ring for a couple of years, and he becomes an actor, a commentator, and he comes back two years after the fight to fight again against. Lorenzo Zanin, or Zanon or Zanon, Zanon Lorenzo
1: Zanon who was an Italian?
0: Right and he, and he beat him but then he, 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 he retired again and he comes back six years later. And at this point, Sports Illustrated does an article based on research and examinations of Jerry Quarry and it is determined that he has dementia pugilistica. But Quarry wants to fight. And he finds a state to give him a license, Colorado. He steps into the ring at the age of 47 for now a cruiserweight bout against Ron Kramer. And Jerry serves as a human punching bag for six rounds before the the fight is stopped. How brutal was that beating?
1: Well, it was so brutal that uh, Jerry because of his condition before he even entered the ring, did not know the next day that he'd even been in a fight and i'm I'm looking at the the record of this ron kramer uh or Cranmer right now, and his record was three and four three and three wins, four losses, and one draw now that's the kind of guy that jerry quarry uh would never have been fighting under normal circumstances, but when a guy is suffering from pugilistic dementia and is forty seven years old and hasn't been fighting in years uh you know he's gonna do some things that uh he wouldn't ordinarily do, but that's other than Jerry in his very early career he would not have um he would not have even bothered fighting that guy mm-hmm. uh, he was taking on uh really excellent fighters, not only the all-time great kind of guys, but just really good fighters. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was a a sad ending. And at that stage, we know now that Jerry just had seven years to live. Right. So, so,
0: so, So you write the book. It's called Death in the Ring. A lot of it, I mean, you know, is fictional. But the title is very interesting. For Jerry Quarry, who was never the same after that fight, Do you think it's fair to say he was basically killed in the ring that day when you consider all that happened afterwards? He couldn't feed himself. He couldn't dress himself. He had to be cared for by relatives. I mean, you know, sure, there was a lot that happened in those years leading up to that fight. But from everything that I read, I mean, what Kramer did was— just it was brutal. The pounding, the beating that Quarry took that day was was brutal.
1: Uh, yes, yes, it, it was. Um, but I, I don't think uh, at all that it was that fight alone or primarily that caused Jerry to have dementia pugilistica. As uh, as I mentioned, his youngest brother uh, Bobby Quarry, uh said that. He, um, he had started showing signs in his early 40s, and this was just seven years before his death, so this would put him at around age 46, right? So he had, he, he was already showing signs of dementia pugilistica, and then it gets back to um, starting out as a child, trading those headshots with his brothers and others, having a very extensive amateur career, almost 200 fights, and then all these wars as a pro and remember it's not only the fights it's the training and as well hmm. I mean, the, yeah the, the brand yeah. doesn't care whether it's training or whether it's on closed circuit tv or the madison square square garden is sold out so i think jerry had been taking headshots uh, by that time at age 46 he'd been taking literally uh for more than 40 years and um it was, uh, so I, I, don't, I think we can look at that fight as a very sad evening, uh, sad, especially and tragic for the jury and his family. But also it's sad for boxing because that is a fight that absolutely never should have been made. Mm-hmm. Never. He was absolutely in no condition, not neurologically or athletically. He was in no condition to take that fight. And it's a, it's a travesty that, uh, anyone, for money or any other reason, would, would would send a man in the ring in mm-hmm. that condition.
0: And that's basically what Sports Illustrated said, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Jerry, uh, during that period, uh, or no, actually it was before, uh, in the 80s, uh, was told by Sports Illustrated, they gave him some cognitive tests, and they assessed all too accurately, they said, Jerry, you and Bobby Chacon, another ill-fated warrior, a great fighter. But they said, you guys have dementia pugilistica, which is basically just giving someone a death sentence and saying mm-hmm. you're going to your brain is going to shrink. You're going to lose control of your, uh, your, not only your mind, but your other organs and you're going to lose control of your personality and you're going to be an invalid and, uh, and you're going to die young. And, um, that's what, um, uh, but anyway, I, I don't think we can blame that last fight. Mm-hmm. Horrible though it was, uh, for, for Jerry's premature demise. It, it, uh, it, it just punctuated it, but, mm-hmm. uh, it didn't, uh, or exclamation, uh, you know, it, uh, put the exclamation it, it point.
0: It was,
1: it was, it uh, was a, the, the straw that broke the camel's
0: back out. as they say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was just, uh, at that point, it was just ridiculous. But Jerry, I've heard the the story. Uh, I've read the story. I, I never asked his brother this particular story, but he, I think it's it's a valid story. It's, I've read it more than once. Um, that sometimes he would have people over to his house. He was a social guy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he, he was married and divorced three times. But he, he would have people over his house for boxing matches to to watch. You know, just a social evening, and then he'd say, okay. I'm going home now. Huh. And everyone would just go get really quiet. And uh, then someone would say, well, well, Jerry, this is your house. And he'd, uh, he'd laugh and say, oh, I know that. I know mm. that. So mm. really, even when he was totally in in the throes of dementia, he was actually quite funny. Uh, the guy who was interviewing him, and again, this would be available on YouTube, was Giving Jerry questions to test him, and he says, "What's your mother's first name, Jerry?" Mm. And he couldn't answer the question, but his one-liner was great. He says, "I don't know, Mom. What's your first name?" And it was actually quite funny. Hmm. And so mm. he was—he was a witty guy. Mm-hmm. And to see—to see any mind destroyed, I think is a—is a sad thing. Mm-hmm. Is, would you consider
0: his career, or do people consider his career a success or a disappointment?
1: Well, from an athletic point of view, it was a success. He won the fights uh, almost without exception that he that he could have won. Uh, I don't think anyone, any rational person, is going to hold it against him that he lost twice to Ollie, twice to Frazier, once to Norton. They they, they were just had too much firepower, too big point. Uh, but uh, I mean, he won far more than he lost. Sure, he was 53, and nine, 9,
0: and 4. 53, 53
1: wins. 53,
0: 9, and 4. Nine and losses,
1: look at those, right, and four draws. Yeah, six uh, fights by uh, KO. But uh, all of his, uh, I, I'm just going to read. Uh, eight of the nine losses and just starting with the most recent, which was Norton. I I mean, I'm not even going to count that one with Cranmer. I don't Mm -hmm. even count that at the end, Kenny Norton, Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali, George Shavalo, Joe Frazier, Jimmy Ellis, Eddie Machen. And Eddie Machen was a first rate fighter. And so out of those guys, Ellis held the title, Frazier, Ali, Frazier Norton. So six out of the nine losses were to guys who held and held the heavyweight championship mm-hmm. at one mm-hmm. time or other. So six out of his nine losses. And then to this Cranmer fellow when he had no business in the ring in the first place. And then the other two, two excellent fighters, um, uh, Eddie Machen and George Travallo. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Jerry Corey was one hell of a fighter. Uh, there's no doubt about that. So he was successful, um, Athletically, but as a fan, maybe an aging fan who's not tough enough anymore, but I, I, I just think that uh, the price is too high.
0: Mm Hmm. Mm Hmm. Do you think there was a period of time in boxing where Jerry Quarry might have had a better shot at winning the world heavyweight championship? I
1: mean, uh, like you well, said, the guys he faced were the best. Yeah, uh, well, in the uh, after Joe Lewis, that's a good question, and and I've thought about it, and it, yeah, it, it's after Joe Lewis retired, they had uh, some great fighters, and I'm not saying Jerry could have beaten them, but they were about Jerry's size. In other words, they were under 200 pounds for the most part. Uh, Jersey Joe Walcott, who maybe it was around 200, but um, and Ezard Charles, uh, those are guys that he you know, he would have been very competitive with. It. And th- those were guys who won the, the heavyweight championship, uh, after, uh, Joe Lewis. Mm-hmm. And, uh,
2: uh, and
1: Mar- I think Marciano, I, 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 certainly, uh, you know, Marciano was 10 pounds lighter than Jerry. Wow. So, uh, and so, he never lost, you know, no, he never lost, but he never really fought. I mean, he fought Joe Lewis at the end of the the road. And for Joe, so I mean, I, I, so there's three fighters right there that are like Jerry, like Patterson. And, and again, that's Ezra Charles, Jersey, Joe Walcott, and uh, of course, the great uh, Marciano. Uh, I, I'd like to, I think uh, most boxing fans would love to see uh, a tournament involving those three guys, uh, Corey and, uh, let's say Patterson who died of, Uh, boxing-related Parkinson's or or, or Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So many of these guys, like Ali, had uh, boxing-related Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Patterson had boxing-related Alzheimer's. Corey had dementia pugilistica. And if you look, if you just do you just think of fighters here and there, and say, "I wonder what ever happened to so and so? If he's dropped off the radar," and you look it up, what you see so often is these guys dying in their 40s and their 50s. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just you know maybe 60s. Uh, yeah, some of them you can say, well, some of them are going to make it to 80, but it, really they they just die soon. And I'm not saying anything ridiculous like boxing should be illegal. I'm just saying we have to be honest about the price these guys are paying.
0: Yeah. It's sad. You know, before Jerry passed, he was there. He was lucky. He was inducted into world boxing hall of fame, but in the video of his induction ceremony, you could sort of see that he barely knew what was going on.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's in Jerry's, you know, final, 10 to 15 years, That that is among the saddest pieces of footage that we have, other than to me, the, the absolute worst was going way back from there, it was against Norton, when Norton just just really annihilated him. Uh, but, um, yeah, Jerry did not, he literally did not know where he was. In fact, uh, that's, if you think about that film, the guy who was taking care of him, that was his oldest brother, Jimmy, who the rest of the family Felt was taking advantage of Jerry's fame and all that. I don't know. That's a family matter. But uh, but he was taking care of Jerry, and Jerry didn't really know where he was. That's right. He, so he's being inducted into the the great the greatest uh, uh, organization that you can be inducted into is a, a boxer, the Hall of Fame, International Boxing Hall of Fame. But he just didn't know where he was.
0: You know. You know, Tom. As as you were talking just before about boxers who fall off the face of the earth and you go and you look them up and you find out they have passed on or they're struggling with some sort of disease brought on by the, the, the constant battle in the ring and, and all the head blows. I'm sitting here and thinking about how brutal some of the UFC fights are and yet we don't hear about any of them um dealing with any of these these issues and I, and I'm just wondering is that because boxing was that much more brutal or is it because perhaps UFC is still in such a young it's still such a young sport
1: well I think I think both reasons are correct uh, boxing has been around on a uh, very sophisticated professional level for uh, 150 years i would say and uh of course people have been boxing for a long long time even before that uh so we have uh, uh you know if you look at MMA uh mixed martial arts 100 100 150 years from now i think you'll see some some cases like that like the the fellows we've talked about in boxing and there is another factor though uh even though uh, a mixed martial artist is very happy to hit or kick an opponent in the head. There are, in fact, many different ways to uh, attack your opponent and to defeat your opponent in mixed martial arts. Uh, there are takedowns and there are uh, arm bars. You know, you can get people to submit on, on the arm or the leg or, or the chokeholds. There are a lot of holes that really don't uh, leave any lasting injuries for the most part. Mm-hmm. So. So I'm not saying we'll we'll never see any fatalities and we'll never see any uh, cases of dementia pugilistica in MMA, but uh, I don't think we're going to see nearly as many because the guys are formidable strikers, but they're they're not strikers in in the same league with, with boxers in terms of standing up, stand up fighting. You know, a mixed martial artist would go in. If, if say you put a mixed martial artist against a boxer, mixed martial artist would go in there. In most cases, go underneath the punches and, and just take the fighter down. And we've seen that uh, Randy Couture, veteran mm-hmm. uh, champion who was retired, fought James Tony uh, about ten years ago and, and took him down very rapidly. And Tony was a great multiple champion, you know, everything from middleweight to heavyweight. Uh, But um, anyway, I I think you're right. Uh, Both the lack of historical evidence with MMA and the fact that these guys are not hitting each other constantly. They're grappling, uh, submitting each other. Uh, Whereas in in boxing, even though there are body shots, essentially they're targeting heads. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Tom, I want to thank you once again for joining me on Sports Forgotten Heroes. Our discussion today about Jerry Quarry, certainly fascinating. Thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it as I always do.
0: Awesome. Thanks. The beatings, punishment, and constant blows to the head were just too much for anyone to endure. And despite the pleas of many, Jerry Quarry didn't listen. He was a boxer, a fighter, and that's what he wanted to do. That last fight against Ron Cranmer was a sad, sad end to what was really a terrific career. Still, the punishment of 18 years in the ring was just too much and Quarry's bout with pugilistica Dementia was way too much for him to overcome. Those last few years of his life were tough on everyone. The fact that he really couldn't enjoy his induction into the Boxing Hall of Fame was truly a sad moment. But his life prior was a thrill. He was able to step into the ring and, for the most part, hold his own against some of boxing's greatest names, Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. Jerry Quarry was a boxer, and that's what he did, box. Once again, I'd like to thank my guest, Tom Clark, for stopping by. If you'd like to hear more of Tom and his thoughts on boxing, get his book, Death in the Ring, Or check out episode 6 of Sports Forgotten Heroes about Tia Stevenson or episode 42 about Archie Moore, both with Tom. Next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we're going to talk about one of the greatest defensemen to ever play in the NHL, but a guy so few knew much about, Pierre Pouat. That's next time. For now... Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time
2: on Sports Forgotten Heroes.